Morning. Halfway there. Uh, my name's Adam, one of the pastors here at the church, and I am, I am really, really looking forward to this morning. I believe God's going to do something special as we end this series, Being Rich. Uh, before we did, I want to mention one thing. It kind of jogged my memory. Last week, we did the Operation Christmas Child. We had 262 boxes collected, which was off the, I mean, I just blew me away. The year before, we had 189. Um, so 262 is like, wow. Uh, I just want to mention we have uh, one, two, four, five people from our church here, a part of this Bethany, who are heading down to North Carolina this week to help the um, processing and packaging of all that, get it out to the nations around the world. So just again, thank you so much for the, for the giving that's taken place here. Uh, Bethany. Now, as we end this series, I really believe, as I said, God's going to do something special this morning, do something really cool. Uh, The reason why I say that is because this series uh, has really challenged me in some very practical ways. I've heard from a number of you that what it's meant to you and some things that you've begun to change and adjust in your life because of it, because the reality is that most of you know, some of you've experienced this, that the scriptures talk a lot about this subject of money. It's not just a subject that God lets just to our choosing. Uh, and he speaks a lot about it. And we understand that when we get this stuff right, when you handle money well, it brings peace in life like nothing else, in my opinion. Uh, when you don't do it well, I think it can be very, very difficult. So we're on page 90 this morning. If you have a journal, if you don't have a journal, say, what is that? It's a reading plan that kind of takes this morning's message and runs deeper throughout the week. Page 90 is where you can grab some notes there uh, for this morning. Uh, but the passage, let's jump right in here. The passage where we've been in all series. Uh, matter of fact, if you've been here throughout this series, you might even have this thing memorized by now. You've seen it so many times. Kind of took a springboard right off of this thing each week and kind of go through it and then jump into uh, the final verse of this passage this morning. It says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our, what's the word say? Say it with me together. Enjoyment. So God, we don't need this. Sometimes there's this idea around Christianity that if you're a real follower of Christ, you're going to live with this kind of theology of poverty. And God says, no, I've given you stuff. Um, Now, don't be arrogant about it. Know that I've given it, but it's for your enjoyment and use it well. So how do you use it well? The next verse, we talked about this. This this verse was week two and week three. Uh, But it says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Generous and willing to share. And then we're going to get into this uh, final verse. Before I mention that, uh, we said in week one that the good news is that you're rich. And I'll be honest, it's still a subject, even though I preached it and talked about it and believe it, it's still one that I times wrestle with. Uh, If you remember, we talked about, we said, if you make $33,000 in your household, you are in the top 1% in the world. Now, the pushback that often comes is the same pushback I give. You say, well, well, Adam, (laughs) you know. Really, Adam, I get that if I make $33,000 and live in that in, um, in Ethiopia or live in, in down in um, some of the Central American countries, I get that that really makes me rich. But I live here on the hill. I live in Terry Hill, you know, and, and it takes $33,000 and a whole lot more to survive. Uh, so I'm really not rich. But if you remember, we talked about. Remember we talked about, he says, if we don't just stop and acknowledge that we are rich, what we end up doing is spending our time trying to get rich. And it brings all kinds of troubles when we live that way. But we just stop and say, we're rich because even if you only make $33,000 here in this country, you have rich people opportunity, tons of it. And so let's not spend our time trying to get rich and say we are rich. God has blessed us and let's use our money well. Uh, so it brings great honor to him. I had a great reminder of this reality of I'm rich uh, two weeks ago. 
I was sitting down at um, my dining room table with my computer out. The kids were kind of getting ready for bed. And I was doing this blessed activity that I do every two weeks called balancing the checkbook and entering stuff for the budget. Now, if you ask Tanya, what's Adam like when he does the budget? He'll, she'll tell you he's a little grumpy. I just, I don't do numbers well. I don't, I just, I start looking and does things don't always add up. And it just, I guess, a little grumpy. On top of that, we're getting into the Christmas season. And the Christmas season always means we get a little tighter financially. I think most of you get that. Most of you live there. Most of you are there. You think, man, I'm barely getting through now. And now we're going to add, do I go into debt? How do we do this? And so we're kicking around. What do we do with our kids? Every year we take this seriously. And one of the ideas that we had as a family was that we would um, buy them a family gift. And we're still not sure what we're going to do. Uh, but one of the things we kicked around is a smart TV. Let's get a TV like that right now, meaning that we could just stream that and I can hook my computer up. And, but think about it. What do you need a TV for, right? I mean, why, why do you even need a TV? Now, we felt we needed a smart TV. I uh, thought it would be nice to have anyways because um, when I would watch my Miami Dolphins or, or Penn State, not the Eagles, and I'd see the, I'd see the score come up on the screen. And, you know, they, they format these TVs now. I can't see the score. And now I know some of you say, what's the Dolphins? You don't need to see the score. I mean, it's all set. <laughs> But, you know, then they put the interview on and it cuts half the guy off because our TV's not. And we sit there and we grump about this. And, and then we, you know, want to show something off my computer and we do family worship and I can't quite get, you know, so I'm like, let's get this TV. But I don't have the money and I'm sitting there doing the budget that night. And I'm just kind of grumping a little bit. Get a phone call from someone, not a part of this church. Get a phone call from someone. It says, are you home? I said, yeah. I mean, it's kind of late. Said, yeah. So can I stop by? Well, Sure. They walk into the house and I'm there, um, someone, I think one of my kids let them in and I was just kind of getting up from the, getting up from the dining room and this individual comes in and sets down this box, this skinny box about this long, right? And, and I look over and I read it. I'm like, is that what it says it is? Yeah, it's a smart TV. What is it? Like, like, they're like, what do you mean? What is it? It's a TV. I'm like, who's it for? <laughs> it's for you. Now, here I am in the middle of grumping. I'm not worshiping God about my money. I'm not managing my budget with a sweet spirit. And I'm like, they're grumping. And then God blesses and shows up with this TV. Now, it's a TV that I really don't need. Let's be honest. Do any of us really even need a TV? A lot of our lives would be a lot better without the crazy things. So I don't really need a TV, but God blesses me. And right then and there, I just stopped again and said, you know what? I'm rich. I may be sitting here struggling to make the ends meet and get all the bills paid, but we live in a country where we have problems like, do I need a TV this kind of size or this size? And do I, what do I do with that TV? And we have a thing like right now, I mean, we have rich people opportunities. Uh, You have libraries to go to and you have public education and we have rich people opportunities. So the important thing is that we acknowledge that we are rich. And then we talk through the rest of those verses and what do we do with our money? Now, this morning, the end of the, if you look at the end, it says in this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age So that they, referring to us, the people that are rich, may take hold of the life that is truly life. It's almost as if the writer Paul is saying, there are some people who are living life that isn't real. It's not legit. They have their stuff and they have their money and they're going at it, but it's really not real. So let's talk about how to make sure as we end this series that we are living life that is truly life. We're rich. Let's do this thing well. Our statement that we've built on each week, and I'm um, just going to read through this. Each week, we kind of built a piece of this. First week was this. God has blessed me with more than I need. I am rich. 
Next week, I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. And then the last two weeks, we built this one because I have more. I will give more and do more. Kind of built right out of that passage. Could we say this together? Can we do that? I figure most of you have been here throughout this whole series, so you've probably got this down. So can we just kind of say it together? God has blessed me with more than I need. I am rich. I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. Because I have more, I will give more and do more. Now, this morning, with the exclamation point on it, if you turn with me to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 12. And if you're new to the Bible or exploring the Bible, I'll give you a hand here in finding Luke. Welcome. So glad you're here. Luke is what we wanted uh, is the third book and what we call the New Testament, which are the writings that kind of about Jesus. The Old Testament's kind of before Jesus, New Testament uh, kind of about Jesus. Uh, Luke is the third book in. You'll see it there if you go about three quarters of the way through your Bible. Luke chapter 12. Luke was a doctor. Um, really took in some great detail about Jesus. Hung out with Jesus. Watched Jesus. Luke chapter 12, verse 13 is where we're going to start. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Now, a guy shows up um, here in Jesus' teaching. Jesus is teaching. If you see, if you have a Bible with red letters or maybe they're in your smartphone and um, Jesus is teaching, maybe in a context like this, and either there's some Q&A afterwards or this guy just jumps in the middle of it and interrupts, but here's how it goes. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, now this isn't a question, look at this, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So see what he's saying here? He says, hey, hey, yo, teacher, my dad died, my brother took all the money. There's some of this that belongs to me. Teacher, tell him what the law says. I mean, you're, you're obviously a guy who speaks with authority. I can see that you're very wise. You claim to be the son of God. I mean, so you obviously know what to do here. Tell him you know what's right. You know what's, you know what's just. Some of this money belongs to me. Now, I love Jesus' response. This is so key. This verse is so key, I believe, in kind of understanding this whole story. Verse 14, Jesus replied, man, who appointed me as a judge or an arbiter between you? See what he's saying? He's saying, listen, I didn't come to be a judge. I didn't come to be a peacemaker, an arbiter to kind of work these things out. What did Jesus come for? Some of you know this. He came and one of the way he says it in his mission in Luke chapter 15, it actually shows up. Luke chapter 15 says, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. In other words, I have come to reveal God to people who are far from God. I've come to say, hey, God wants a relationship with you. God has created you. God, God wants this relationship. So I'm coming to reveal God to you. I haven't come to settle all these disputes. I haven't come to be your judge and your arbiter. But Jesus is like, since you bring it up, You bring up an interesting point. I believe this is why Jesus runs with this. Because one of the things that keeps people from God, one of the greatest spiritual disadvantages that we have, we talked about this in week one, is having money. It can do a number to our souls. So Jesus says, let's take the opportunity. Since I've come to restore people to God, you bring up a subject that actually keeps people from God. So let's go with it. So look at verse 15. Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. I love this, this statement of watch out. You know, one of the things I think Jesus says this for is because greed hides itself from its victims. I think if we ask you this morning to sit down with maybe after church with your small group, your life group for lunch, and if you just went around the room really candid and felt safe to do it, and all would confess a sin that you struggle with. I would venture a guess that the one that you probably would not hear mentioned around the table 
is greed. I mentioned this a little while ago as a pastor, for whatever reason, as a pastor, I get people just confessing things to me. I have had this happen, making appointments with doctors. I've had this happen at Walmart. I've had this happen in my office. Just people just confess. And I've had all kinds of struggles and troubles and hardships confess. And, you know, as I thought through over the years of ministry, the one thing I've never heard said to me is, Adam, I spend too much money on myself. Or I've never heard anyone say my lust for money is destroying my family, my wife, and relationships that I cherish most, and it's even destroying my soul. It's one of these sins that we don't see real clearly, but many of us struggle with. And see, I think Jesus is saying, watch out, be on your guard. Some of your translations even say it more subtly, just like be careful about this. You know, Jesus doesn't say this, take a sin like adultery, where Jesus talks about that in other places in the scriptures. He doesn't say that about that. You know why? Yes, you talk to someone committing adultery, what do they know? Hey, I'm in bed with someone who's not my spouse. It's kind of obvious. But greed subtly steps in. Another thing about greed that's interesting is greed isn't just the love of money. What it really is is anxiety over money. And I think when you get, we aren't going to look at all the verses, but verses 22 and following, Jesus says, do not worry about this stuff. So watch out, be on guard. Now I love the second part of that verse. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. A man's life, a woman's life does not consist, is not defined. I mean, think about how when you meet someone new, what's one of the questions you're apt to ask someone? Hi, my name's Adam. You meet John, Susie, Sally. And what do you say? What do you do? So often we define ourselves by a career, what we make, what we do for a living, So often we define ourselves by what we consume and what we purchase. And I think Jesus is saying, listen, your identity shouldn't be wrapped up in this stuff. And what happens when your identity is wrapped up is when you lose your money, you ultimately lose your life. I mean, that's what this guy's come and complaining about. Dude, why are you all so worried about this money? You lose your money, lose your life, or, or maybe what life can be. This is so many people. I could be this if only I had that. No, Jesus says, don't define yourself by what you have or you don't have. Don't wrap your life up. I mean, where is your identity? Where is your self-worth? What defines you? Jesus goes after. Now, he's going to tell a story. Verse 16, he says, Then he told them this parable, The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Verse 20, but God said to him, these are some strong words. I just want to give you a little warning on this. God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then you will get what you have prepared for yourself. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich. What's it say? Toward God. What a powerful statement. What a, and I think one of the things that's intriguing, you say, well, why was God so upset with this guy? Is he upset because he's rich? Is he upset because he has money? I mean, what's he really upset about? I think if you go back to verse 16, there's a clue. We talked about this in week one. God's not opposed to money. It is a great spiritual disadvantage to us, and it does cause us to depend on ourselves. Look at verse 16. And he told him this parable, the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. Who produced the crop? 
According to this text, according to the way that Jesus tells the story, who produced the crop? The ground. See that? Now, see, this is what we talked about in week one. So often what happens when we get rich, when this farmer got this big crop, we think, oh, my goodness, did I plan well? I invested wisely. I understood the market. I live below my leans, means. I budget well. I, and we go on down the list. I work hard. I'm disciplined. I am now wealthy. Or I farm. Man, I work the soil. This farmer probably worked the soil. He probably bought good crop and, and he probably spread that seed well and he gave great attention to that, to that soil. And you begin to think why this, this reality creeps in it. Look what I've done. But the ground did it. God did it, not the farmer. And on top of that, he's taking his stuff and who does he live with it? What his stuff, who's it for? Himself. It's only thinking about himself. I'm going to take care of me. Now, so the question I'd ask is, are you rich toward God? It's a question Jesus ultimately brings up to this guy. Remember, he's talking to the guy who's arguing with Jesus, with his brother, saying, I need my money. This dude hasn't given me my money. My brother's withholding. So Jesus ultimately builds up to this reality that, hey, are you rich toward God? Now, the question gets asked, what does that really mean? Look down at me at verse 30. I think... Jesus closes this teaching out, verses 30 through 34, and really, I think, defines what it means to be rich towards God. Verse 30 says, for the pagan world runs after all such things. He's referring back to food, shelter, um, and he's saying, listen, don't worry about that. And people who don't follow me, who aren't Christians, who aren't following Jesus, they worry about all this stuff. Don't do it. Your father knows that you need them. The verse goes on to verse 31, but seek his kingdom And these things will be given to you as well. So pursue the kingdom of God first. Be rich towards me, and then you'll get this stuff. Verse 32, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out or a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted. So notice the contrast between this dude to build the barns. He says, listen, give your money away. Then he says this, treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted there at the end of verse 33, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Verse 34, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Love this. Remember, Jesus is saying, listen, I haven't come to be your judge and arbiter. I've come to bring you to God. And there's this thing called money that often stands in the way because money, what it does is it creeps in and begins to promise you things that only I can give you security, happiness, joy. I can only give you those things. If you remember what Chris talked about in week two, he said, when we look to money for security and happiness, what ends up happening is we have a hard time giving it away because we can't give away what we find our security and identity in. I can't give that away because then I won't be secure. So I think the ability to give away demonstrates that I'm not just looking to money for my security and happiness. Well, I'll get a little side note here. Give a little side note. Um, it's kind of a fun little thing I found as I was doing some research this week. Elizabeth Dunn and Laura Acknon, professors at Harvard, and they've spent their career studying this question, can money buy happiness? They just looked at what's the connection between money and happiness. They've done all these research. You can go online and Google these two, and you're going to find all kinds of cool things you learn about them. They did this one study where they had these things, goldfish crackers. Okay, so I thought I'd do. So we'll talk about the study. I'm going to ask the ushers. They're going to come on forward, and they're going to give you each goldfish crackers. Okay, who doesn't love a goldfish cracker? 
I got the colored ones. The flavor blast is what I really wanted. So if someone wants to trade with me, I'd love to, love to switch that out. But anyway, um, they did this study, and they brought toddlers into a room. In the one group of room, they gave them goldfish crackers, and they said to the toddlers, these are your crackers. These are for you. These are not for the share. These are not for other people. These are your crackers. Eat your crackers. Don't share your crackers. Now, the other group, they bring in the toddlers, and they say, listen, listen. I'm going to give you goldfish crackers, but you are free to share your goldfish crackers. As a matter of fact, we would like you to share your goldfish crackers. So these toddlers get this, this wonderful toddler snack that all toddlers, I've never met a toddler who doesn't love goldfish, right? So the toddlers get these goldfish crackers, and then the researchers, what they do is they studied the kids following this experiment. And guess what they discovered? The kids that gave away the crackers were happier consistently than the kids who withheld for themselves. Isn't that crazy? Giving away goldfish crackers made these toddlers happier. So first service, first service, there were a number that failed. I watched some get these things and they ripped right into them. And I said, man, you're going to be miserable today. So what I said is take the challenge, go give your goldfish crackers away. And I'm sure there's lots of little kids in this church that would love to have your goldfish crackers and mommy and daddy taking home 12 and 15 bags of them, right? So as you give stuff away, did you give it away? Don't consume for yourself. Research has found that you're actually happier. Gallup, um, they, the organization, they did, a, they did some research. They tried to do a metric of all the countries in the world. And they said, let's do a happiness scale. Let's discover which country is the happiest. Now, where do you think America ranked on that scale? Of 100 nations, where does America land? We are number 33. This was done in 2012. Now you say, 33? Who's above us? Well, you study who's above us. The top 10 nations are the, some of the poorest nations in the world. And when you step back from that, you say, now, wait a minute. We have smart TVs and we've got smartphones. We should have smart people. I mean, look at all this great stuff that we have and why are we not the happiest? And the research, Gallup and even these professors at Harvard who tag in with some of this research say, listen, People are actually happier when they give and open their hands up with what they have. So I think it's an indication of what it really means to be rich towards God is, hey, I can let go of my stuff. And the reason I can let go of my stuff is because of where my identity is, who I live for. See, when it comes to idols, the competition between us and God, when it comes to an idol, ultimately what we trust And what we love, we will eventually serve. And if we trust money, if we trust it, that's where I'm going to get my security. That's where I'm going to get my identity. That's where my self-worth is. What I have is what's going to keep me safe. If that's where we put our trust, we're going to love it. And ultimately, we obey and we serve money. I mean, some of you know people in your life that serve and live for money. Every decision they make is based on what they're going to save, what it's going to cost, and what they're going to accumulate. And we think about it and we consumed with it. And God says, listen, I've come to reveal to you, God. I've come to you, Jesus says, to show you Jesus. And I want to show you God, to reveal me to you so that you can come into this relationship with God so that you can love him, trust him, and ultimately serve him, not money. See, money subtly slips into the place that God is meant to occupy our heart, and then we're not rich towards God, and we have a very hard time giving 
away. So the question is, how can I be rich toward God? Practically, now you could kick around a lot of good stuff. We've had some really good conversation about this throughout this series, and we've talked about be rich in good deeds. Some of you were that this week, right? Some of you I know went to shelters this week and served turkey dinners. Some of you helped your elderly neighbors with the snow that fell this week. That, um, you know, how many of you were excited to see that stuff, right? Some of you are out helping with that. Um, some of you, you mentor. Some of you, um, you volunteer here in our children's ministry or you volunteer in other aspects of the church. Uh, some of you are uh, just focused on, I'm going to be kind. So you're rich in good deeds. Others of you say, I'm a rich giver. And so you give up your stuff. 10% you know, of your income is given, is, is given away. Maybe you uh, support compassion children. Maybe you're watching football last weekend and you, you know, saw the thing on about Buffalo to the Red Cross and you could text 9-9, whatever it was. And you did that and you texted and sent in your $20 to the Red Cross to help us. You know, I'm a rich giver. Others of you say, well, you know what I do, Adam? I do those things and I avoid sin. I, I stay away from the images on the computer. I really work in my anger. Um, I, I really could try to control my tongue and that's not gossip or I really work on eat, my eating. I didn't have too much turkey this week, maybe a little too much ice cream, but I did okay with the turkey. Um, so you say I'm rich towards God. Now those things are important, but here's the thing. I just want to end with this. So important to me. Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 10 it says, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites. And if you're new to the Bible, the Israelites are the Jewish people. They've talked a lot about in the early parts of our Bible. They're kind of God's people who he starts with to say, I want you to take this message of who I am into the world. They're very religious people. Uh, so the writer here, Paul says, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Now look at this next sentence. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God. I want to pause there. So Paul, the writer, wants them to be saved, to come into relationship with God. But yet, you say, no, wait a minute. Why do they need to be saved? They're so zealous for God. And so in other words, these are people that may come into a worship service like this, and their hands are raised, and they're singing their songs, and maybe there's tears streaming down their face, and their heart is beating, and they're throughout the week thinking about God. And, man, they're, they're loving. They're just like, man, I am so passionate about God. But look at the rest of this verse. But their zeal, their passion, is based on knowledge. It's not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God, the rest of this verse is powerful, and sought to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believe. Love this. Do you know what I find so often? What I find is I am tempted, I think, like these Israelites were, is my zeal for God is often rooted in my behavior for God. I think, well, that's how I'm going to be rich towards God. And I talk to people, and I even myself, you know, we're, I'm, I'm behaving right. I'm, I'm rich in good deeds. I'm a rich giver. I'm avoiding my sin. And, man, my heart is welling up with excitement for God. But all it really is is it's rooted in me, my behavior. And at that point, I can say you're really not rich toward God. I think when you're really rich toward God is that when you understand that I establish my riches towards God, when I understand that without Jesus, I'm in complete poverty toward God. So I love verse 14. Man, who appointed me a judge and an arbiter between you? I've not come to be that. I've come to reveal God to you. I've come to fulfill the law. I have ultimately come to be your worship, what you trust and what you love. I've come to complete your identity. I've come to make you whole. 
I've come, as Romans 10 says, to be your righteousness. So when God looks down at you, if you've believed and trusted in Jesus, he looks down at you and says, you're righteous, you're good, you're perfect. And in that place, because I am rich in Jesus, I will stand up and be rich toward God. It's not about me, my good works, my good deeds, what I give, what I don't give, what I look at and don't look at, but it's about Jesus and what he's done for me. Now, kind of close this, just want to kind of recap the series and some of the things. And you say, well, Adam, how do I stay rich in God? Well, you stay rich with the same plan that got you rich. You love, you trust, and you serve ultimately Jesus, period. We ultimately serve that which we love. And we think back through the series, you know, this takes us back to week one, first Timothy six seventeen. put your hope in God, not in riches. Don't be arrogant. Pride slips in and we begin to think, well, I'm pretty cool because I'm pretty rich. (laughs) No, God's given as a gift. Then we talked about the rich. Be rich in generosity. Give more because you have more, you can give more. Again, if my identity is not in Jesus, I'm going to have a hard time giving because it's my security and I can't give away my security. Then be rich in good deeds. And we talked about that. I mean, we understand what we've been forgiven, forgiven much in turn loves much. And the one other one that we mentioned last week, that I just want to briefly mention, is so often those who've experienced God's love experience it through others. So often. So I would say if you are not doing life intentionally with others around who God is in the scriptures, you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle, I think, to be rich towards God. It's one of the reasons I'm so excited. I want to give a little plug here. What Chris's work and his team has done, I am so thrilled. In August, in August, our life group ministry, which we're a church that says, listen, because we so passionately believe in this, we've asked people to intentionally form within groups of 8 to 12 in that size and and really do life together and and study and grow together and pray together and serve one another. And in August, we had 41% of those that called this church home, 41% were actively involved in that ministry, in in a life group. And you say, well, that's not real good. (laughs) I would agree. It's like, wow, Chris gave a lot of effort, he and his team. Right now, we are stand at 58%. That's incredible. That's a 17% increase since August. I'm like, man, and then the cool thing is, is that gives greater opportunity for people to begin to do life together, to sharpen one another, to experience the grace and mercy of God through one another. And that is where real Christian maturity, I believe, begins to stand up. So as we close and move towards communion, Please, with all my heart, as we wrap this series up, this series wasn't about what we're going to be and do. But rather, here's what it was about, through Jesus, what we already are and have. I'm rich. Please don't settle for the riches and the standard that our culture sells us. Do not find your identity in what you consume and what you have. Don't find your security and happiness in those places. Find it in Jesus And as you find your identity in Jesus, learn to say, I am rich. And because I'm rich, I'm not going to chase after more and keep trying to get rich. I am rich. I'm going to live at peace with what I have. And I'm going to now serve and serve well with what I have. God wants you to be rich in him so that you can know life to the full. God, thank you so much for Jesus. I love this story, God, that uh, just is a great reminder to me of this man. I could be that man. 
who stands up and says, oh, give me my share. I deserve this. And God, Jesus exposes a heart there. And I think it exposes in me and exposes in many of us in this room that we are so tempted in our culture to define who we are with what we have. What life could be with what we could have. And God, I love this. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. Um, God, Jesus, he came to reveal to us you, to walk us into a relationship with you. God, as we end this series, all my prayer is for every one of us in this room is that we would, without a shadow of a doubt, have peace with you for certain knowing that if life were to end like it did for this guy in the story, that we would be rich towards you in eternity. First and foremost, because our righteousness is in Jesus, period. And secondly, because of that, we've lived well with the stuff that we have. We've not trusted in our riches. God, I pray specifically for those in this room. I think of Jesus when he says, do not fear, little flock. God, when we struggle financially, it can strike fear in the heart. And it can unsettle us. And we can begin to grab and hold on to stuff that's not going to satisfy our heart. So God, those that are in this church that struggle, that are walking here and saying, man, I don't have two cents to rub together. God, would they hear your message this morning of seek first you, and then they can rest that you will take care of them. And God, for all of us, may we pursue that. Seek first you through Jesus so that we can rest. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.